Um, but my name is Tyler. I'm the Youth and Families Pastor here. And if I haven't met you, I want to do that. But it is an exciting day. Actually, it's an exciting week for our church. Do you know why? Maybe you don't know why. Let me tell you why. Our kids' ministry is rocking and rolling over in the other building. I just saw Captain Hughes doing a dance move over there, some sort of, and, uh, and our kids are loving it. And so thank you for the families who came today. Thank you for those who made this happen. Heather and her team are doing an amazing job. But after seven long months of no kids or student ministries this week, we launched both. And uh, it's an exciting time at Newtown Road. So that's awesome. Uh, this past Wednesday, our student ministry launched with our fall kickoff. And at least since I've been here, that is a record number of students that have shown up. And it just tells me one thing. They are craving community. Like they're craving to be a part of, of something and be back with uh, friends who will uh, push them towards Christ and a church that loves them. And so... Um, that was an exciting time for the students that are in here that were there. Thank you for coming. For families who came and picked them up, thank you. Uh, if you weren't here or maybe you were but you're excited, I mean, we're running it back this Wednesday. So 6.30 to 8.30 Wednesday night. Uh, we're going to be outside, glow sticks. We're going to have some fun again, new games, a new message of hope. And, uh, and we hope you invite your friends to come be involved with that. Uh, I've got some other cool uh, announcements that we can celebrate as a church. Um, but before I do that, I want to welcome visitors and first-time guests. Because if you're here for the first time, uh, we want to say thank you for joining us. Whether you're here or whether you're tuning in online through YouTube or Facebook, thank you for, for coming this morning and being a part of what God's doing at Newtown Road. If, uh, if you could do me a favor, if you're a guest, and you could do me a favor and fill out a communication card, that's the best way we know how to get you information about things like our kids' ministry or our student ministry. And you can find that, if you're online, you can find that by scrolling down and pressing the link in the comments section, filling out a communication card that way. If you're in here, uh, there's an app. It's called the Church Center app. You can download that app, and then our church comes up with, um, with a communication card. That's also the way we are able to check in our kids. And so if you don't have that app, you should get that app today. I would encourage you to do that. But So back to our um, encouraging things, things that we can celebrate as a church. Um, the other day, actually last week, the Hughes, Hughes, Jeff and Amy Hughes, loaded their car completely packed with food and supplies that you have brought in. Okay? So we are, we are partnered with local organizations that are helping families in need. And the Shelters of Saratoga is one. The, the Mechanicville Community Center is another one. And we were able to take food and supplies packed in Hughes' vehicle over to them. And they were extremely grateful for that. And so I want to say thank you for that. Uh, we were also able, out of our 20 fund, to send $1,000 to help in a, in a really cool, practical, special way. Um, Captain... Uh, is is doing um, a thing for local families with kids who are doing online schooling but don't have the funds to purchase the things necessary for them to be able to engage in their classes. And specifically for new earphones or headsets that they can hear and engage with their class classes and their teachers. And so when we asked them what we could do to help, that's what they said. They said, we need 
sets of headsets for kids to be able to, um, to do online schooling. Uh, through your generous, generous donations in our 20 fund, we were able to send $1,000 to purchase headsets for kids in the community who need them, which is amazing. All right? But that's not all. You thought I was done. You thought I was going to get off the stage. I'm not. We also packed 30 backpacks full of school supplies for Mechanicville schools. And those school districts are incredibly grateful as well. Um, church, God is using your faithfulness and giving above and beyond your, your tithes and your offerings to reach the needs of people. And because of that, God is honored. Um, and our church is, is uh, honored because of it as well. And so we want to say thank you. If you are here prepared to give tithes and offerings this morning um, as a way of worship, uh, we want to say thank you for your continued giving. You can do that on the way out in that box that's by the door. Um, and we want to say thank you again, church. If you are uh, if you're a parent of a kid or a guardian of a kid and you'll p- be picking them up, do us a favor at the end and go down to the kids' ministry from those stairs, not these, and that will help with the flow of traffic. Um, and so if you can just get your children by going down the stairs that you came up this morning. Everyone else, you're welcome to exit out the main sanctuary doors. We want to say thank you as we switched, um, switched the check-in process up on you this morning. Uh, We appreciate all you do. I'm going to hand it over to uh, Pastor Matt this morning as we continue in worship. I I had the unfortunate task of following in your footsteps last week and doing announcements. My children mocked me when I got home. They sat around our lunch table and told me how awful I did and that it was embarrassing for them and I should step up my game. And I apologize in advance for whatever, whenever else I do that in the future. Uh, but thank you, Tyler. It's, it's so good to be back and see our kids' ministry uh, flourishing and, and see kids excited to come and, and hear the word of God. We believe that we have a calling to train up the next generation to walk in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and the church family is part of that, and so it's a part of their discipleship. And when our people are serving God in that way by providing that for them, we just want to—it's exciting. It's something to celebrate. It's something to rejo- rejoice in. And so— Man, it's just so, so good to be back in that mode again. Before I begin, I have a, a special announcement to share with you uh, this morning. After serving the past few years in our worship ministry, and as the director now for uh, nearly two years, uh, Matt Turgeon has shared with me that he feels the time is right for him to step down from that role. He's given countless hours to serving the Lord by serving our church in this ministry, And he's done so on top of all the regular responsibilities from day-to-day life, like his job and his family commitments. I'm indebted to him uh, for his commitment to our church family and the worship ministry in particular. And we just wanted to say a very public thank you to him and Nell and the family for the many ways that they've sacrificed so much to serve and encourage us over the uh, previous years. Please make sure to find a minute to let him know how much you appreciate him. And let him know how the Lord has used him in your life in so many various ways. So Matt, on behalf of the congregation, though, I'd like to just say thank you to you for your tireless commitment to our church, for serving the Lord by serving his people. You've been a blessing to us and to me in so many ways. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, here we are again. Bible's open, ready to go, eager. Hungry to learn the word, I hope. Prayed up and ready. Um, We're going to be in Mark chapter 12 today. We're looking at the parable of the tenants. 
which is a continuation of where we've been, a good reminder that the original Bible did not have chapter divisions and verse numbers in it. There were no headings in it. Uh, it was written as one continuous book. The editors later thought that would be helpful for us in study, and in large part it is very helpful, but sometimes we forget that this passage that we're reading in chapter 12 is not a new chapter. It's just the next phrase in Mark's telling of Jesus' life. And so what happened is Jesus rolls into town, he curses the fig tree, cleanses the temple, is challenged by the religious leaders, and they say, whose authority, by whose authority are you doing these things? Who do you think you are that you have the right to do this stuff? And he says, I'm not going to tell you. And he begins to teach them in a parable. So this is all like one continuation of this big confrontation we saw last week. Let's keep that in mind as we open the Bible this morning to, uh, to Mark chapter 12. Here's what Mark says in the beginning of chapter 12. He began to speak them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the day we have to gather together. We thank you for a, a place to call our own, a church family to be part of, and God, this local outpost in the kingdom, Lord, that we get to be members of. Lord, we ask today for your blessing on us as we gather. We ask for your blessing on those who gather at home. We pray that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear, our hearts to receive your message to us today. Give us wisdom and discernment as we seek to understand the scripture. And we're reminded of Paul's encouragement to pray for our leaders and those in high places. And we think today of our president. And we ask God that you would be uh, his comforter and healer. And that you protect his health, him and his wife and his staff. And God, we pray for a speedy recovery. We ask for your leadership in his life that he would make wise and discerning decisions that would honor you and benefit us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Mark chapter 12 is the story, the parable of the tenants. In my first portion I've just entitled, Let Me Tell You a Story. And this isn't like one of those random stories. Like sometimes my mind is racing and I'm a little bit distracted. Um, my wife would tell you I have ADD, but I'm just kind of a little bit I have a hard time focusing. I'm just really interested in everything, you know. And so sometimes my mind wanders and I think, oh, that reminds me of a story I have to share with you. That, that's not what's happening here. This is a very intentional story that Jesus is telling. 
And he's telling it for a very specific reason. It's part of the fuller treatment of what's happening here. The cursing of the fig tree, the cleansing of the temple, the challenge of the religious leaders, and now the story. It all weaves together to tell us the same message. So he shares, he shares this story with them. Who's the them? He shares it with the religious elite who just confronted him. The chief priests, the scribes, the elders, the Pharisees, the ones who came from the Sanhedrin and said to him, by whose authority are you doing these things? It's that they are the them he's talking to. They're trying to destroy him. They're trying to trap him in, in, into admitting that he has no authority and no real power. So he tells a story. And in the story he tells, he tells uh, it, it's focused on a vineyard that is planted and established by a, a vineyard owner, a wealthy man, who leaves and goes off to another country. But in his absence, he leases the vineyard to some tenants or some farmers. Now, this isn't an arrangement that's unheard of. It's actually quite common. A wealthy business owner would, would scratch out a new business venture and then move on to wherever he was going and lease it to other tenants. And they had an agreement. They would receive some of the profit from the vineyard, and so would the owner. This is no different than any of us who, who work for a corporation. You don't own your company. Somebody else does. And yet the arrangement you have with them is you make a, a living wage. It provides for your family and your needs. And somebody somewhere else who has the, the greater interest in the corporation, they, may, they skim off the profits. It's, that's the arrangement. It was their business investment that started. This, this is not hard for us to understand. The owner goes to a far-off country, he leases it to the tenants. The arrangement is that when it becomes profitable, in about four years it takes for a vineyard to become profitable, when that happens, he's entitled to the harvest. Not all of it, but his portion. It's probably a sizable portion. It's his money. It's his vineyard. It was his resources. It's his venture. He's, he's entitled to a portion of the profits. So verse 2, when the season came, when it was time for it to be profitable, he sent a servant. And the servant's job was to go back and receive the harvest, receive the profit, and take it back to his owner. But when he got there, something crazy happened. The tenants, who had a contractual agreement with the owner, decided that they were not going to fulfill their end of the deal, and they beat the servant and sent him away empty-handed. So the servant goes back to the master with his tail between his legs and said, well, yeah, I went, I told him to give me the stuff, they hit me, and then they sent me away. And he says, all right, that's it, I'll send somebody else. Can you imagine being that guy? Like, wait a minute, where do I get to go? Yeah, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy got all roughed up, so I'm going to send you. All right. So the next guy goes, they treat him harshly and they strike him in the head. They send him back. frustrate the owner. He continues to send his servants. He continues to send messengers. And the messengers come, the servants come, and their main goal, their, their number one priority is to tell these people to give the owner the fruit of the harvest that belongs to him. They are un, they're not being faithful, but to give him the fruit that is rightfully his. Time and again, they keep, he keeps sending servants. Some they treat harshly, some they kill. He sends many others, a steady stream, and nobody comes.
comes back with a harvest. And finally he says, I have one more, my beloved son. I'll send my son. Surely they'll receive him. Surely they'll respect him. Surely they'll see him as bearing the same authority that I have. You see how this is tying into what we talked about before? You see how this story is really answering their question from last week, even without answering it? Whose authority do you have? Who gave it to you? He says, he says, I have a son. They'll respect him. But when he got there, they killed him in a scheme to steal his inheritance. This is crazy. On the surface level, though, you need to see something really important. They kill him not because they're confused about his identity, but because they knew clearly who he was. They said, this is the heir. This is the son. Let's kill him. At this point, at this point in the story, I imagine the religious leaders who have been conspiring to kill Jesus for some time are like, oh no. He might be on to us. Somebody told him. Somebody, I'm, I'm sure they tried to work their poker face. Like, I'm sure their eyes got real big. They're looking at each other, passing glances. He's talking about us. Who told him we were going to kill him? Jesus asks the question, what's the owner going to do? What does the owner do in that situation when the tenants that have an agreement with him failed in their end of the bargain, failed to keep up their end of the bargain, and not only that, beat and killed the servants and the son that he sent back? What does the owner do? He fronted the money. He carved out the vineyard. He built it. They're just living in his land. Well, with the owner, he seeks justice. The right thing to do is to come back to kill the, the rebellious tenants, and he's going to give the vineyard to others. That's what he says. I'm going to give it to strangers. He'll give it to someone else. And then Jesus quotes the Old Testament. Haven't you heard that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? In the building of the, the temple, the, the idea here is that, that they, the builders looked and scanned the, the stones that were available, and one they found that might have been suitable, but it just didn't look like it would work. It was discarded because it didn't appear to be strong enough or stable enough to support the weight of the temple or the weight of the kingdom, and they passed over it. And that was the one that actually became the cornerstone and the chief support for the temple of God. Religious leaders want to arrest him, but they can't. They are afraid of the people, and they're afraid because they perceive that he told the parable about them. They realize that this isn't just a story about something random. He's talking about us. Okay. What's he talking about? The second part of, the, part of this, this message is just trying to explain. Let's connect the dots. How did they know he was talking about them? What is there in the history of Old Testament uh, teaching or the history of Judaism or the foundation of theological truth that these religious leaders held to? What is it in their background that would highlight and let them know that he's talking about them? I'm glad you asked that question. Isaiah chapter 5. Remember we said when we talked about the cursing of the fig tree that often in the Old Testament, Israel, God's people, is referred to as a vineyard, as a field, as a fig tree. 
to bear fruit and a harvest. Here's what he says in Isaiah chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Let me sing for my beloved, my love concerning his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it. He cleared it of stones. He planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. Sounds very familiar. And hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes. But it yielded wild grapes. It didn't yield the fruit that he wanted. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, verse 3, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for me, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes or to bear fruit or bring the harvest, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard, says God. I will remove its hedge. I will break down its wall. It shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. When Jesus tells a story about a a guy who plants a vineyard and goes to a far-off country, they know exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about the nation of Israel. He's talking about the fact that it was fruitless, and it takes us back to the image of the fruit tree, the fig tree, that he curses because it looks like it has leaves, but there's no fruit, and the temple that he cleanses because it looks like it could satisfy the hearts of people's spiritual needs, but it has no fruit. By whose authority? Well, I'm the son of the far-off owner. That's who. And here's what he says. Okay. The vineyard is Israel. The man who plants the vineyard is God himself. The people, the kingdom of Israel is this vineyard. He pursues them. He makes a place for them. Calls them to himself. Makes a promise, a covenant with them pledges himself to them. They're his vineyard. The tenants in the story are the stewards and the overseers of the vineyard. They are the religious leaders of Israel. They're the spiritual leaders to God's people. The servants who come are the prophets. God sends messengers. And throughout the Old Testament, if you listen to the prophets... Most of what they're saying is not about the end of time. Most of what the prophets say is to Israel, you are not being fruitful and faithful to God. Repent and walk in obedience. So the prophets come and they say to the nation of Israel, quit walking in in foolishness and wickedness and instead bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Be fruitful to God. But they won't. So he continues to send messengers, prophets, and some they reject, and some they beat, and some they kill. And finally, in these last days, God has chosen to speak to us through his son, Hebrews tells us. He sends Jesus to his people, and he comes to his own, but John tells us his own received him not. What do they do to him? They have not yet killed him, but they are conspiring to. And looking back now through the pages of history, we can see 
What did the people of Israel do when God sent them his only son? They rejected him and killed him. And what will God do? God will bring judgment on unbelief. That's what God will do. This would have been so offensive. He tells the religious elites that you know what God's going to do? You know what the owner is going to do? Or sorry, we're veiled language. The owner will come back, kill the tenants, and actually give the vineyard to other people. And the religious leaders, the spiritual elite, the Jewish elite, they said, hold on a second, we're the people of God. Who are you going to give your kingdom to? You're going to give it to somebody else? Are you, what, you're going to give it to the Gentiles? You're going to give it to a people who aren't your people? You're going to give the kingdom blessings and all of the covenant blessings to people who aren't even yours? This is so offensive to them. But it's a continuation of the ongoing theme. The tree didn't produce the fruit. God cursed it. The temple wasn't producing the fruit. He cleansed it. The story is, there's judgment coming for rejecting Christ and not giving God the fruit that he deserves. And then he says, the stone that the builders rejected, that's the Messiah. That's Jesus. And the leaders of, of Israel looked at Jesus and they passed right over him. Because surely the kingdom wouldn't be built on him. And yet the one that was discarded and left in a trash heap outside the chosen city has become the cornerstone of the kingdom of God. And upon him rests everything in our lives. The religious leaders recognize, the crowd does too, this is about them, and they walk away. Okay, so what? What does that mean for us? I've been so amped up to get to this passage, I love this. Here's what it means. There is an incredible warning for the religious people in this passage. This is, I mean, in the direct context, the religious leaders just had their hides whooped. Right? That's, a, that's a, as diplomatic a way, Austin, that's as, as diplomatic as I can say it because I'm on a live stream right now. I can't, you know. They got worked. Here's what God said. I'm bringing judgment on you. Because you killed the prophets, you rejected the message, and you're scheming to kill me. I'm coming for you. There is a call to the religious who appear to be in a good place with God to repent of their self-righteousness and their sin and to walk in obedience to God. That's what he wants. That's what God wants for his people Israel. That's what Jesus wanted right here. That's why he laments and weeps over Jerusalem. They killed the prophets that came to them. They would not bear the fruit that God desires. What does he crave for them? He wants them to repent of sin and to walk in the fullness of God, in obedience and faithfulness. And there's a warning in that, that judgment is coming for those who refuse to do that. The obvious application is repent, walk in faithfulness of, to God. As obviously, the Jewish leaders are the direct audience, but also, that's a somber warning to us. Because if God made a covenant relationship with his people who failed him, and he was so willing to uphold his own holy name that he was willing to be, bring judgment on them, 
That's a sobering reminder for us who have entered into this relationship by his covenant grace. Then we need to ask the question, am I bearing fruit for God in keeping with repentance? Jesus tells us he he prunes away the branches that are unfruitful. He tells us that much fruit honors the Father. The question for us Christians as we read this passage is, Lord, help me to walk in wisdom and faithfulness so that I might bear fruit and honor you too. So that you don't look at me and shake your head in anger for the ways that I have abused grace, but instead are honored and pleased with my offerings to you. Am I walking in righteousness? Am I denying myself? Am I taking up my cross and following Jesus? But the second thing is that this is an amazing, beautiful proclamation of the gospel message. God sends his only son to his own people, but rather than receive him, they reject him. They don't receive him. They don't accept him. They don't honor him. So in the wisdom of God, he makes known a great mystery. That's what Paul calls it. And this mystery is this, that the Gentiles have a part in the plan and the covenant of God. The mystery is that to as many as did receive him, who believed on his name, to them gave he the power to become the sons and the daughters of God. The mystery is that when the Jews rejected him, God said, fine, I'll give my kingdom to the Gentiles. When the invited guests refused to attend the, the, the feast, do you remember what happens in the parable? He says, go out to the highways and the hedges. I don't care who you get. Compel them to come in. I'll clothe them myself. I'll make room for them. They can have a seat at my table. And what does that mean for us? My friends, if you were to find yourself in the story, you are not God, the owner of the vineyard. You are not the vineyard itself, the nation of Israel. You are not the tenants, the religious elite. You certainly aren't the prophets, the messengers, and you're definitely not the son. You are the others. We are the others to whom God gave the kingdom because his own people rejected him. He is screaming to us the realities of the gospel. And here's a brief reminder for those of us who need the refresher. We don't sit in these seats reconciled to God by his grace and through faith because of our hard work, our good effort, or our righteous position. We are here because God in his mercy chose to give the kingdom to us. And he caused our minds to be enlightened, our eyes to be opened, our ears to be unstopped. And he let us see the reality of who he was. The son of God who died on the cross to save us from our sins, who was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And to as many as received him, who believe in his name, people like me, outsiders and rebels, we can become sons and daughters of God. What a gift. What a savior. What a message of hope. How powerful is the Bible this morning? Unbelievable. It should warm our hearts that God would love us so much to give us the gifts of the kingdom through grace, through faith, and it should produce a solemn warning in our hearts. Am I walking in faithfulness? Am I wandering into the foolishness of this world? Am I pursuing the lusts of the eyes, the lusts of the flesh, the pride of life, or have I yielded my heart and am I following Jesus? I don't know where you are today, wherever you find yourself, you're in one of those categories. 
You need to turn to Jesus for saving grace because you are given the offer of the kingdom through faith. Or you need to solemnly ask yourself, am I walking in a way that's worthy of the gospel and bears the fruit of repentance? Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for its power. Lord, it, it cuts us deep. It exposes our hearts. It, it shows us exactly who we are. And sometimes that is not a pretty picture. Thank you for your clear presentation of your gospel. That God, we can know by your love for us and through your wisdom and faithfulness, you made a way for us who are not part of your vineyard to be stewards and tenants in your vineyard. You made a way for us who are not sons and daughters to be adopted into your family. You've made a way for us who are slaves to sin, enemies and rebels to now be joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And none of it is because we deserved it. All of it is because of your mercy and grace, because of your sovereign wisdom to make known the mystery of the gospel that we Gentiles can be welcomed in as well. Lord, I pray for us that we would walk circumspectly, that we would be wise and discerning, that we would honor you with our lives, that we would not walk in foolishness or rebellion, but instead in faithfulness. Lead us to that. Let us bear that fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and stand with me. We'll sing another song this morning.